2 Corinthians chapter 10. We were in chapters 8 and 9 last time, and it was all on tithing and giving, and then I had to leave for three months. So uh, that wasn't by plan, but um, everything uh, moves ahead with him in chapter 10. Uh, He moves off of that totally. And of course, he's writing this to the church there at Corinth, and he's going to talk about some things today, you know, and Y'all are thinking this is an amazing message. You've had three months to prepare it. Um, Well, it's interesting because, you know, I told my wife during this whole time off, like, well, what's God doing in my life? And when you go through fairly serious health issues, it challenges you. Um, It challenges you with your your life. When, When you're going through some of the things I'm going through, you're wondering, Lord, are you calling me home or are you gonna let me go? Um... Uh, on here you're you're wondering what are the real battles of life and you actually have time to ponder that and so frankly I didn't prepare much I was really worried about Lord what do you want me to do and so then I opened it this week and really started looking at this and over the past weeks I've looked at this and I go well I'm just not here Um, I'm in the middle I don't know if you guys have ever read the book Pilgrim's Progress Back in the old days, uh, colonial America, uh, people in their home, they had three books. They would have the Bible, Pilgrim's Progress, and um, uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs. And those were the three books. I mean, of all books, Fox's... Have you ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs? I mean, that's some kind of a read for the evening times. Um, But here's the thing, Pilgrim's Progress. You know what that tells you? If you don't know it, I'll summarize he starts life and he ends life, and all in the middle is his, his progress. The pilgrim is uh, navigating this life, and so he's got valleys. He meets despair and uh, destruction along the way and all this stuff, but it's sort of a fable describing the Christian's journey, and it's ups and downs, and it's valleys and all of this stuff, and it all has to do with spiritual warfare, and that's where Paul is today. Um, if you get this next chapter or two down in your life, you've got a big handle on all of the challenges of life when you realize what we're going to read today. So we'll, we'll start through this. It says, Now I, Paul, myself am pleading with you by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ, who in presence uh, am lowly among you, but being absent, I am bold towards you. Uh, and that's just simply saying, He's coming at you today with the gentleness, the kindness of Christ. In other words, not talking harshly to you. Um, But he also says there in verse 1, you think that I'm timid in person, um, but only bold when I write from afar. You may not understand that unless you've been on Facebook. You know, how many people get on Facebook and boy, they're tough through that screen. But if you ever meet them in person, you know, like, oh, and they, they talk differently. And that's basically what he's saying here. He's like, oh boy, through the letters, you're really tough, you know, Paul. But if you were here in person, I bet you wouldn't talk so tough as you are in these letters. But he says in verse 2, I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. This is an interesting concept, and one that if you and I really get, it clarifies our life. Because we want to look around us, and we want to say, oh, my finances, they're down. This is bad. I wonder what's happening. Develop spiritual eyes to see behind the physical issue. So if you're down with your finances, look and say, Lord, you're not blessing me here currently, or I'm going through a trial here, I've lost my job, whatever's happening, what's going on? Develop spiritual eyes because there's a spiritual war that is raging in your life. Even with your illnesses, and I can say this after going through one and going through one, it's a spiritual battle. And the enemy can attack. You know, read your Bibles. The Bible is full of stories through the Old Testament and the New. Paul's going to talk about it next Sunday. Uh, talking about his thorn in the flesh, the things that he's going through, and that sometimes the enemy sends those things. Sometimes the Lord sends those things. 
And, and it's for a purpose, but look for the spiritual behind it. So he says, look, we walk in the flesh, so we live a physical body here, but we don't war in the flesh. So if you are warring in the flesh, quit. Quit panicking and, and you know, reaching out, raging in the flesh, and, and sit back and pray and say, Lord, what is actually going on in my life? And here's the other thing. You know, if you've ever studied warfare, I don't know if any of y'all have been in the military, but, you know, I wasn't, but I've shot a lot of coyotes. <laughs> and uh, let me tell you something. Uh, out on the ranch, if you're hunting, varmint hunting or whatnot, there's, there's some key elements to the kill, to winning. One, you've got to see them before they see you. Otherwise, they take off. You've got to be a little slicker than whatever you're hunting, whether it's in the military man or if it's a varmint out on the ranch. You've got to be slicker than they are. And you've got to have a little bit of deception. Where do you think camo comes from? You know, it's to deceive the enemy. So what I'm saying is we understand that in the physical realm. It's real simple. Well, what do you think that the enemy is going to do when he comes into your life? Walk up and say, hello, my name's Satan, and I'm here to wreck your life. It's not going to work that way. He's going to come in from the side from a long distance off. And in fact, if he's learned how to be a sharpshooter, the further off, the better. And that's how he's coming into your life. He's coming in from a long ways off from left field. You don't know he's out there. You can't see him. He's camouflaged. And deception is his main armament. And you don't know you're hit by a good sniper until you're shot. And then you look around, and sometimes you're shot, you realize that, but you don't know where the bullet came from. That's spiritual warfare, and that's the enemy that we're dealing with. So we have to get smarter than he is. So we walk in the flesh, but we don't war according to the flesh. Good thing is, is we're not just walking around defenseless. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. I like that word, uh, strongholds. It means arguments in the Greek, uh, which that word is also, uh, in some places, it's been interpreted imaginations or reasonings. So where, where does Satan do warfare with you and I? In our mind. And things that are physical happen to us. And then our mind goes down the gutter. Have you noticed that? When something happens to you, whether it's financial, physical, um, relationships, you know, all these sort of things, you get the hit, the initial hit, and then, and it comes from left field every time. I didn't see that coming, is what you say to everyone. I'd have never dreamed that would have happened to me. Uh, And then your mind goes. Your mind starts to spiral because the enemy is working there, and you start to doubt your faith. You start to doubt the Lord. You start to doubt his hand. You know, you start reading your Bible and you always turn to the wrong place. You know, you're off in Jeremiah somewhere and it's like destruction and judgment, what? You know, and, and you, you just are going lower and lower. And about the time you think you see a ray of, of sunlight, something else hits. And it's all around you and it's just a spiral. And, you, you know, that is the way the enemy works. So be encouraged today because now you know what to look for. And we're going to look here in a moment once we read through some of this, come back to this because everything else that he writes here today all deals with this verse of spiritual warfare and having the right weapons in our arsenal to defeat the enemy. So these strongholds, these arguments, uh, and what are these arguments? Well, there's two things that happen. One are trials we walk through. Other is sin that we deal with. And I have watched Christians confuse these two things. So don't, don't get involved in a sin and then come to church and say, oh, I'm going through trials. No, you're going through sin. And you're battling your own flesh. And you just need to conquer that. Other things, in other words, a temptation is something where you have a choice. Okay, I'm going to eat the candy bar. I'm not going to eat the candy bar. That, that's a temptation. But a trial is when you're diabetic or whatever, and they're either withholding or if you're the other way, they're pumping it into you and you have no choice in the matter. That's a, that's a trial because it's being done to you. You're being tortured, in other words, with sugar. Um, and, you know, I mean, I'm joking, but you see what I'm saying. 
a, a trial is something you find yourself in the middle of that you can't do anything about. It's just life. Hits you upside the head. Temptations, we have, we have a choice in those matters. So um, this is talking about the trials that we're going through and then couple that with the battle of the enemy. And I'm telling you, you've got a big problem. That's where Paul is. He's going to talk about that and, and marry all this together for us. So these weapons that we're going to talk about in a moment, the list is in Ephesians. Um, they are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Verse 5, therefore casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So uh, I think we need an example here. Um, what this is like is, you know, for the person that's walking with the Lord or just started walking, and perhaps you're on drugs, and you say, you know, I am making the decision. I'm going to move away from that. And then your body is going to lie to you and say, you need this. It's an addiction. And so that's going to pull on you. Uh, you're going to have your friends. Trust me, this is how this works. Um, if, you know, if, you, if, you, if you're an alcoholic, this works like this every time. You uh, drink, and you're always buying for everybody else. As soon as you tell your friends, I'm done, I'm not anymore going to you know, be getting drunk and doing all that anymore, not my thing, you're going to have free booze flowing. They're all going to be buying it, going, hey, well, come and drink with us. It's free all of a sudden. What is that? That's an attack, and it's trying to pull you back into that world. Um, you're going to have a fight. As soon as you say, you know, in your relationships, no more sleeping around. I'm done with that. I, I, I read my Bible. I see what the Lord says. I'm going to do this. You're going to have all the best offers of your life right out in front of you. Trust me. It's how it works. Um, as soon as you say in your life basically this, no more compromise, devil. No more compromise, flesh, my own self. War. Okay? That's what's coming in your life. It's a war, spiritual war. And so that's what he's talking about. And these arguments are just that, the world telling you it's okay. The world's full of compromise, and they're always going to say it's okay. Uh, verse 6, he's carrying on this thought, being ready to punish all disobedience. This is spiritually when your obedience is fulfilled. Verse 7, I love this. I underline this. Do you look at things according to the outward appearance? It's a good question. Do you look at things according to the outward appearance? Or are you trying to pray it Pray it in and say, Lord, is there something else going on here? Are you trying to tell me something through this? Is there a battle going on? Is the enemy part of this equation? There's all these thoughts and things that we need to be thinking. If anyone's convinced in himself that uh, he is Christ, let him again consider this in himself, that just as he is Christ, even so we are Christ. Uh, so here he's getting to the point. He's saying, and of course, Paul was preaching. So as he's preaching to everybody, he's saying, remember, I actually do represent the Lord. Uh, this isn't from left field. So you can trust what Paul is saying. For even if I should boast uh, somewhat more about our authority, which he could, he was an apostle, not a B-apostle, he was an apostle. Uh, so uh, the Lord, he gave us, Paul says, for edification, not for your destruction, I shall not be ashamed. That's an interesting point. Now, the person that is speaking, I'm not saying they're not a Christian. They're just not being very spiritual. If you go to a church and they preach hell and damnation to you about everything that you're doing, and they point out everything you're doing wrong, and then we close, and then we wonder, are you convicted? That I understand why pastors start doing that, but really we're supposed to teach for edification. You see, instead of teaching you that it's wrong to do all these various things. The Bible will do that. You can get, if you read your Bible, you'll figure that out. I just want to tell you about Jesus Christ. I want to tell you about going through trials and coming out maybe the other side. And let Jesus be victorious in your life. It's to edify and to encourage. That's what we do here. I want you to leave here and feel good. Maybe not about yourself, but good about Jesus. And aimed in the right direction, you see. So that's one way that we know if somebody's kind of right or not. Now this is, uh, this is kind of actually funny. He says, lest I seem to terrify you by my letters. He says, don't be terrified by everything I'm writing, which Paul wrote. You know, even Peter said that in the end 
of uh, one of his epistles, he says, Brother Paul, he's pretty wordy. And then he just moves on. He didn't, you know, get combative. But I agree, Paul is wordy. I mean, he has so much to say in all of his epistles. Uh, Peter's more my style. But he says, lest I seem to terrify you by my letters. And verse 10, for his letters, they say. So maybe you've said the same thing. For his letters, Paul's, they're weighty and they're powerful. But his bodily presence is weak. His speech is contemptible. (laughs) Something to say, isn't it? Now, I want to know, how did this get back to Paul? You know, I mean, who came and said, no, I'm not gossiping, but here's what they're saying, you know, about you like, you're kidding me. Well, I'm writing them a letter, you know, and so here we go with the letter. It's, it's comical. But he says, but let such a person. So he, he has a name in mind, a face, but he says it nicely. Because remember, they read this. So, it, you know, in the church in Corinth, they got up Sunday morning and they said, guess what, guys? We've got a new letter from Paul. Let's read this, shall we, you know? And then, so then this is what they're reading. He says, let us such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters when we're absent. So all these things I'm writing to you, such we will also be indeed when we're in present. So he says, you think it's bad to read it? I'm coming. You know, it's kind of like a Clint Eastwood movie. You know, I'm coming and Hades is coming with me kind of a thing. So... Um, he says, verse 12, For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. It's kind of wordy, isn't it? Weighty and wordy, as they accused him of being. What's he saying? He says, um, we're not in with those who are patting themselves on the back. We're not professional, professional ministers. Uh, and I like this, because if you see me up here, I, I'm not exactly professional myself. I just am what I am. And uh, I really don't make a whole lot of apologies for it. There's very little I can do about it. Um, so, you know, you learn that in life. It, you, it's funny, because when you're young, they always say, fake it till you make it. Um, well, in this realm, walking with the Lord, that does not work. There is no faking it till you make it. You either make it or you don't. And if you don't, that's called the backslider. They're gone. It's easy to see. There is no faking it. If you fake it, you won't make it. That's the truth. You fake it, you won't make it. In fact, when you fake it, your sins will find you out. That's really the truth. This is, this is not, it's kind of like, uh, have you ever, you know, gotten into, some of y'all are, I know are into exercise, and I used to be too. Um, keep going, you'll end up like me. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but the thing is, you know, when, when you're uh, able to do anything, and I used to walk every day, and, uh, even a little jogging, but I never really liked jogging, I'll admit. But I did a lot of walking and uh, got into weights and I was doing all this. Well, when somebody would ask you what you can do, you know, you can lie. You can say, oh, yes, you know, I can do this and that, and I can blah, 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 you know. Well, let's work out together. Let's see what you can do. And you know what? All of the lies just fall away. Because if you can't do it, there's no words needed. We just watch you. We just watch and go, well, is that a push-up? You know, really? That's, that's what you call a push-up. Okay. Well, let's, let's, let's see, you know. Um, Here's the thing, spiritually, we think because it's spiritual. In other words, it's not physically visible. We think we can just kid our way through this. We think that we can just say, oh, I know my Bible. Oh, okay. Well, I'll watch your life, and I'll see if you know it. Because here's the thing, if you know your Bible, it's not about you quoting little verses to me all the time. I really don't care if you can look them up and post them on Instagram. It doesn't impress me that much. I'm sure God doesn't either. He knows you were on there looking a verse up for that thing and then posting it. It doesn't make you more spiritual. What makes you more spiritual is if you know the Word of God and you are living it out in your life. Living it out. And I'll tell you something else. I look more for the people who are going through spiritual warfare to see, and how are you handling this? Because just like a soldier, he can say he's, he's a great soldier all day long. Are you a veteran? Well, no, never been in combat. Well, then how do we know how great of a soldier you really are if you've never done the job you were trained to do? Do you see what I'm saying? 
So as a Christian, if you're not living your life out as a Christian, you don't know how strong you are. You're going through all these battles and losing all over the place, and it's going to be evident to others. So he says, well, we're not going to class ourselves with those who commend themselves. We, this is about the truth of walking with Christ. They measuring themselves by themselves, well, that's terrible. When I, when, see, here's how this works. When I look at my walk with the Lord and I compare it to you, well, I think I'm doing great. I'm kidding. But if, uh, if I compare it to someone else you see around me, now we, you always pick the worst person, don't we? And go like, look at this clown flailing around in his Christianity. I'm doing great, aren't I? That's like going to the gym and the little, there's always that person, right? And, you know, they're over there doing I don't know what, you know. You're like, that's, that's, that's a leg machine, dude. I mean, like, what, what are you doing, you know? When, when, you know what I'm talking about. There's all, they're all over Instagram and Facebook, you know, the funny outtakes of people misusing the gym equipment. They don't know what they're doing. And you see, if I compare myself to them, <laughs> I'm all, you're going to shine, right? Well, he's saying don't commend, uh, don't measure yourself by themselves. Comparing themselves among themselves, they're not wise. Who are we supposed to, you know, look to in the Christian faith and say we're going to compare ourselves to you, Jesus Christ? I don't know. That's lofty. Like, well, you'll never compare to that. I know. We all fall short of the glory of God, it says in Romans. We all fall short. But we have to compare ourselves to Jesus and say, that's the goal, and we're going to not compare ourselves to each other. So he says, we, however, uh, will not boast beyond measure, uh, but within the limits of the sphere which God appointed us, a sphere which especially includes you. So he says, you're in our sphere of what, uh, of what we're going to be ministering to. We're not overextending ourselves as though our authority did not extend to you. For it was to you that we came with the gospel of Christ. So he says, this is the simple truth. We came not commending ourselves, patting ourselves on the back. We just wanted to tell you about Jesus. We didn't boast of things, verse 15, beyond measure, that is, in other men's labors, but having hope that as your faith is increased, we shall be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere. So in other words, kind of makes me happy when you get it. That's what he's saying. And, and, and within Christianity, there's no greater joy than to share your love for Christ and what he's done in your life and then see somebody that you're sharing that with, get it. Just smile and go, I want that too. You, you see, all, we, we don't save people. I don't, I've never saved a person. Not a single person. Jesus saves. All we do is point you to Jesus. You know, I mean, that, that's, that's it. But it's really pretty exciting when you see somebody get it. It's kind of like, you know, a lot of y'all are parents here. Um, when you see your kids get it in life, it's really cool. And when they don't get it, you just go, Pff, you know. Uh, it, they test your patience. But it's because you love them. You know, you just love them and you want them to get it. And that's the Christian love that we're supposed to have in the church. So that's all he's really saying here. And we're enlarged by you in our sphere to preach the gospel, verse 16, in the regions beyond you, not to boast in another man's sphere of accomplishment. So he didn't want to rob in somebody else's ministry. But he who glories, let him glory in the Lord, for not he who commends himself is approved, but who the Lord commends. So he ends that chapter. We'll get into chapter 11, a few verses here. He says, oh, that you'd bear with me in a little folly. So he says, go out on a limb with me. That's in Texas how we'd say it. Indeed, you do bear with me. So go out on a limb with me, and you're coming with me on this. For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I've betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. So he says, I care that you get to know Jesus, and that's why I'm in the ministry. I care that you get to know Jesus. But I fear lest somehow... As the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds... Remember I told you earlier this spiritual warfare thing, the mind is the battlefield? That's what he's coming around to. Your minds may be corrupted. And it's interesting. It's not from the enemy. It's from the simplicity that's in Christ. What's this about? In spiritual warfare. 
So you have physical thing that happens to you, whatever that is. Relationship falls apart, your health falls apart, finances fall apart, whatever it is, it kicks it off. And you go, physical issue, wait a minute, spiritual battle. You recognize it. Next thing, you say, well, I have my faith in Christ. Trial gets worse. Then you say, is God real? Let's revisit that. Next stage, you say, is Jesus real? Is he going to do anything about this situation? Next, your patience is, is tried and tested. You, you wait unpatiently. And then you say, okay, I've learned patience, Lord. No, you haven't because you're still waiting for the end. You know what patience really is? Let me tell you something real quick. This is kind of a side topic. Patience is something that's learned in the sphere of time. Can't have patience if you don't have time, right? Patience is waiting. Guess what we're waiting for? Nothing. We're waiting. You're learning to wait. Why? Because it is a heavenly thing, characteristic, that God wants you to have. Because you're going to a place that doesn't have a beginning or an end. It's timeless. How much patience is going to be needed when you're in heaven? To just live. To just be. Quite a bit of patience. More than I've got, I'll tell you that, because I'm always ready for the next thing. We live in a, a, a computer world today of updates. We're always looking for the next software, the update. There are no updates in heaven. Our Bibles don't update. It's the same. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So he's training us to have this patience. So that's what he's talking about here. The simplicity of Christ. There's some very simple things like patience that we have to learn in the sphere of time while we're here in human form. And he's teaching us these things. And you can become corrupted if you don't get it. The simplicity of Christ can absolutely overwhelm our mortal systems. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus. I thought there was one Jesus. There is. What they do is they take Jesus and they say, this is my Jesus. This is the Jesus that I want to tell you about. This is the Jesus that I believe in. No, it's not about what you believe. It's about who he is. He was an actual person. We need to study him. We need to be educated about who Jesus was, and we need to teach the right Jesus, the real Jesus, not the fake Jesus. This is the same thing that happens to, you know, like I grew up, uh, you know, I'm Texas, Texas country boy, you know, so Davy Crockett, you know, and I had my coonskin cap and the whole thing. Um, Now, there's the real story of Davy Crockett which is a pretty good story on its own. But then there's the legend. And, I mean, you know, he skinned the bear when he was three. You know, I mean, he did all this stuff. So he was an amazing guy. But all that's legend. Well, you see, we come to the Word, and what we do is we say, let's make a legend out of Jesus and make him to be what we want him to be, not who he really was. We've got to get back to who he really was. What did Jesus do? It's the simplicity of Christ, not, not all this other stuff. So don't preach another Jesus. Or if you receive a different spirit, it goes on to say, which you have not received or a different gospel, which you've not accepted, you may well put up with it. You get down, you get into a spiritual warfare like he's talking about here, and you're down, you may well put up with whatever somebody preaches at you. Don't forget to stay in the word. Don't forget to listen to pastors, teachers, whatever. Come back to the word and say, does this mirror what my Bible is telling me, the simplicity that is Christ. If you buy it, it can change and alter your reality of God, and it's going to set you up to have a corrupted mind and to fail when you're going through your trials. I don't want to see you do that. Neither did Paul. He says, I consider that I am not at all inferior to the most eminent apostles. Well, that's lofty. I I I couldn't write that, but he did. He's Paul. But then he says this, and I do agree with this even for myself, even though I am untrained in speech, yet I'm not knowledge. It, and that knowledge there in the Greek, that's experiential knowledge. So that's not uh, education, it's school of hard knocks. He's lived with the Lord. He's walked with the Lord. And so he has an idea about what it takes uh, to live as a Christian man before the Lord. So he's got uh, the school of hard knocks knowledge. But we have been thoroughly manifested among you in all things. 
Did I commit sin in humbling myself that you may be exalted because I preached the gospel to you free of charge? So another, he's, see, now he's going back to chapters 8 and 9 saying, look, I'm all over with my points, but I'm preaching to you and I'm not taking up all those tithes and offerings. There's no reason that I'm telling you this except that I love you and I want you to know Jesus. I robbed other churches, he says, taking wages from them to minister to you. Uh, that's interesting. When I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one for what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. So a little history lesson there saying that when I was there in your church, I took nothing from you. You can trust me that what I'm telling you is the truth. I wasn't there for money. And everything I kept myself from being burdensome to you, and so I will keep myself. As the truth of Christ is in me, no one shall stop me from boasting in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I do not love you, God knows. But what I do, I'll continue to do, that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are. I underline that little phrase. It matches the rest of what he's saying here back in the last chapter. Who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are. What's he saying out there? Important point. He says there's a lot of people in the ministry, a lot of churches, they want to be regarded as spiritual, but in fact, they're just in the ministry. They're not really preaching you the same Jesus. It's a different Jesus. It's ministry. It's churchy stuff. I'm here to tell you today, any of y'all that know me, um, you know that I'm not a really a churchy person. You go, what? You're the pastor. I know. I'm, I'm a little odd. I don't really like churches. Um, I have a big problem with a lot of churches because they have left the first things. They've left the old paths and they're walking and seeking new ways of doing things. And uh, I, I can absolutely promise you around me, you'll never see lasers or smoke. Um, it's just not going to happen. Uh, we, we like to do things simple and keep Jesus as the focal point of what we do, Jesus and the Word. And uh, a lot of people, they have a desire to look like. What I was talking about the exercise people, they want to look like a million bucks. But then when you really look at their health, you're like, but you're not healthy. You, you actually don't know what you're doing, and you can't exercise and keep up with some of the rest of us. And it shows. And so Paul's saying, you, you want to be seen as we are in the things of which they boast. For such, verse 13, they're false apostles. They're false. Deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder. For Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. So you say, yeah, but he said he was good. He said he was in the church. He said he loves Jesus. Well, we got to look at the fruit. Can he really do it? It's like you saying, I can do 200 push-ups. Okay, let's go. I mean, there's a way to, to see this. And, and in your spiritual walk, we want to, I want to see the fruit. We want to see things happening around you and in your life. So, verse 15, we'll end here. Therefore, it's no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. Now, why did we want to read all the way through to that? Uh, Paul seems a little disjointed. There's two main things he's telling us today. It's very encouraging to me. And I guess for me coming back, um, it's even more so. But one, this entire section of Scripture is talking about two main things. All of chapter 10 and half of chapter 11 here. One, spiritual warfare is real. And we need to start looking beyond the physical in our personal lives as a church here, I think. Uh, beyond the physical. And look to the spiritual uh, battlefield that surrounds all of us. Uh, two... And I talked about this earlier with the sniper, but Satan uses deception. He uses deception as one of his main weapons. And um, again, I think the scripture's here so that we can find encouragement in that. That's not to y'all leave here going, I'm going to get shot on the way home. You know, <laughs> Satan's going to get me. No, I'm saying now you're aware and you're looking in the right bushes. And you're going, that could be a problem. I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll be really honest with you guys. You know, I started serving in churches uh, uh, 25 years ago. And uh, just leading worship is in my dad's church. And uh, so ministry has been, you know, floating around my life for quite some time. 
And um, I always thought, you know, that I knew where the attacks would come from. You know, I wasn't always like this. You know, there was a time when I was young and debonair. And, uh, but, uh, not really, but I did have hair. I look, I look better, you know. And uh, I had more on my head than I had on my face. You know, I mean, I looked, you know, decent back in the day. And, uh, you know, I always thought, yeah, I'm going to have to watch those women. You know, they're just always going to be swirling around. And I probably thought more highly of myself than I ought. But, you know, I was high school, and um, turns out that wasn't the thing, you know. Um, you know, you get later in years, and I thought business. <clears throat> you know, I'm pretty awesome at this. And, I, of course, I was a rancher, and so that doesn't help any. And I had horses. I had cattle. I was doing the whole thing. Still make my living there, but at the time, I, I really was. I mean, I, I, was, uh, I was all in, you might say. And... Uh, you know, God said, no, that's not the thing. Your attack's not going to come from, you know, you having so much and learning how to handle it. No Solomon type stuff for me. Like, darn, okay, next. Where's the tax coming from? And, you know, I even, uh, due to early years in the ministry, on a serious note, I thought it would come from a tax within the church because we dealt with that. We had friends that were within the churches that we were serving and attending at the time, and we had some issues where... We lost dear friends. So it kind of steeled me, you know, and I thought, okay, I've learned. That's where it's coming from. And so on and so forth. I could bore you. I won't go through all the details, but let me tell you this, the real deal. The attack always comes from where you don't expect it. Always comes from where you don't expect it. And it can take down the very best of you. Satan is stronger than you are. He's stronger than I am. And you are mortal. You go, well, that's not encouraging. It's not at all. What you have to realize is that you can't beat it on your own. You need some help. And uh, in Ephesians 6, real quick, we'll look at this. You can go to the self-help books all you want. They don't help much. Uh, interesting because all the self-help books that were out 20 years ago are all gone. The number one bestseller, million copies sold, gone. Now we're on new ones. You can deal with all your problems with this amazing pastor's books. They'll be gone in a few years too. The Word of God stands forever. And um, the thing that I have found that gets me through everything is the Word of God and Jesus, the simplicity of Jesus. You come back to those things when you're going through the valleys. He says in Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10, he says, Finally, my brethren, talking to us here, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And then he starts talking about a soldier putting on armaments. He says, put on the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That's why we need the armor. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. What was he saying this morning in 2 Corinthians? It's not a physical fight. It's a spiritual war. We don't wrestle against each other in the flesh. No, but it's against principalities and powers. Both of those are references to the realm of Satan. Principalities and powers. Against the rulers of the darkness of this age. Hell is coming after you and I and the church against spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. Interesting. So now you know where the battle is coming from. So this is the encouragement. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you're able to withstand in the evil day. I like that. This is not just withstand every day. It's in the evil day. What's that a reference to? Could be your evil day could be a group of people's evil day, but it's in a specific evil day. In your life, a trial will come. That's a given. The Bible tells us this will happen. A trial will hit you. The enemy will attack you. So acting like it doesn't happen, acting like an ostrich and sticking your head in the sand somewhere, you know, none of that's going to actually work, okay? 
you're going to have to first admit there are some bad dudes out there that hate you and they're coming for you. So know that. You're in a, you're in a bad Western movie, okay? They're coming, so we need the armaments. He says, stand therefore. So the first thing to do is quit laying down. Stand up. Stand. This is what they would tell the Romans when they would make a wall. You ever seen the movies where they make the wall? And they say, stand fast. Same word. Stand therefore. It's you, you put your feet behind you, you lean forward, and you're ready to take a hit. Are you ready to take a hit? Probably not. Having girded your waist with truth, now you're getting a little more prepared. So the first thing you have to do is quit believing the lies that are out there in the world. Sort of like right now, if I said, who's the president? Uh, we don't know. Why? Because now what we've done is we've, we've made illegitimate our entire election because now both sides are saying that we're cheating. So it doesn't matter who stays the president. We're going to have about half of the nation that says it's illegitimate. What do we need? We need truth. We need truth. The world does not run on truth. If any of you have jobs in corporate uh, America, you know this is truth. There is no truth there. (laughs) It's all lies and deception. The world is full of it. So stand therefore and gird your waist with truth. So you've got to see the world right first through the Bible. Have on the breastplate, so that's their front plate here, of righteousness. You know, a lot of people are going, this is, I don't even understand this. I mean, if, if you're a Mandalorian fan, you know, you know what armor looks like. And, you know, the more that you do, the more you realize you need. So he kept stacking it on in season one. I wouldn't, you, you know, we say like, I wouldn't want to walk around with all that. You better, because you never know when you're going to get in a fight. I mean, it's really a pretty good illustration of exactly what we're looking at here. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, put on the breastplate of righteousness. What's righteous? We think that's, oh, it's a white robe, you know, and singing holy, holy, holy. No, righteousness. Break the word down. It's just believing what's right. What does God say is right? Well, we have a problem with that too, don't we? We come to... In our culture, they say, Romans 1, throw it away. I say, no, Romans 1's there, so we have to read it and weep. What does it say? It says, homosexuality is a sin. There, I said it. You know, sue me. Um, That's what the Word of God says. So it's not up for debate, is it? It It's never been for me. Even things that I kind of enjoy, if the Bible says that's not a good thing, I have to go, "Mm." the Bible says it's not a good thing, I have to rectify that inside myself. We don't rewrite it. So the breastplate of righteousness, this is how you stand. You know, you make, you're, if you're already kind of going, oh, but that bothers me, you're going to fail. You're going to fall because compromise leads to an individual failing. So he's saying if you want to stand, then just be, able, be willing to stand up and say this is what's right according to the word of God. Have your feet shod, verse 15, with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Preparation. That's the key word there, the preparation. So in other words, on your feet, if you don't want to be uh, uh, you know, barefoot trying to get through this world, then he says you need to have your feet shod. That's a, a horseshoeing term, but it's basically put your shoes on. And those shoes are preparation of the gospel of peace. Preparation. That word means study. It means to know. Uh, it means to, to know with knowledge the Word of God. Read your Bibles. That way, when something comes at you in this world, you know how to respond, you see. Verse 16, above all, take the shield of faith with which you're able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. Now, this verse is interesting to me. If any of y'all saw that movie, uh, let's see, what was it? Braveheart. Uh, I know it's getting old, but it was still a good movie. Okay, so there's the weird uh, Irish guy, and they're all on the battlefield, you know, and they're getting shot back and forth, fixing to have their big battle. And uh, they all, uh, well, I'll leave part of that. It's our movie. Anyway, so he's, they're getting a bunch of arrows shot at him, and uh, they're kind of mocking the enemy. And they all put their shields up, and this Irish dude is there, and the arrow goes through his shield about three inches, right next to his head. And he's holding it there. He goes, whoa. And um, 
here's the thing, okay, when it comes, this is just, this is common sense, but your, your shield isn't as strong as you think it is, okay? You can say, oh, it'll turn back tanks. Tank fire could hit this thing. You can say whatever. You know, it's as strong as it really is. Really. I mean, like, well, that's simple. It is, but you need to think about this, okay? If I gave you, you know, a bulletproof vest, and then I said, put it on, let's test it. I mean, are you going to do that? Really? Or are you going to have a little proof before you put it on and let me shoot you in the chest? See, it's not how strong that I tell you it is. It's not how strong you think it is. It's how strong it really is. And that's what's actually going to save your life. So what I'm saying is as Christians, a lot of us have these shields made out of saran wrap. And we're going, we're ready. I mean, our faith, woo, we're ready to go. And I'm telling you, if the fiery darts are coming, remember the sniper I was telling you about at the beginning? He's shooting from way out there. And he's hitting you with something, fiery darts. The idea is it's going to penetrate and kill you. So if your shield's not stronger than the darts he's shooting, it's going to fail and you're going to die. That's, and that's just battle. You could be a good person. There's a lot of good people died in battle. You know, I mean, there's, there's, just because you're right doesn't mean you're going to win. It's these, it's these armaments that are going to make you win. It's having the armaments of faith. So, you know, your faith, I can tell you, when you get into certain situations where your marriage fails, where uh, relationships fail, your kids turn prodigal, uh, health hits you upside the head, uh, your business fails, you know, these sort of life-altering things, your faith will grow weak, and it will become paper-thin, and, and you'll be reaching for just faith in Jesus. It better be strong. It really better be strong. Um, and so that's why he mentions you'll be able to quench these fiery darts. And then the helmet of salvation, because that's, that's the big thing. If you're not saved, none of this is going to matter. If you're not saved here this morning, you're reading through this list going, eh, you know, lunch is coming. Uh, you're, you're just out of it. You're not even thinking in these terms. Uh, and therefore, you will fall and fail in life. You have to have Jesus, the helmet of salvation, or none of the rest of this works. Um, and so then he says, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Interesting, that whole list we just went through, and then he mentions the sword is the Word of God. Everything there is defensive in nature except for the sword and prayer. Isn't that interesting? Everything is defensive. We always focus on the sword. I know my Bible. And what it is, it's like, I'm D'Artagnan. I'm out here with my sword, you know, but you're naked. Most Christians, spiritually speaking, look like that. Thank goodness not physically. But spiritually speaking, you're standing out there butt naked with your sword saying, look at me go, I'm a warrior. And I'm saying, well, there's a lot that you're leaving out. And that may be why you're failing and those darts are hurting so bad. You need some armament, okay? We need armament. And uh, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, praying always. I can say that's something that in part of my life I've certainly failed at, um, to pray always, always in prayer to the Lord um, and in the Spirit. And it doesn't always say, you know, uh, uh, the idea is in the Spirit is, is it's all the time. So you wake up praying, you learn to live in prayer. And when you're going through these kind of spiritual battles, that's where you end up residing, is always in prayer. And you'll stand in that evil day. Now, last thing I want to, I guess, bring to your mind. The question is always asked when we read through a chapter like this, why? And that's one thing that everybody always says is, well, why does God allow all of these battles? Wouldn't it be just easier if we lived in a utopia called Earth and everything was great and um, the elections always went fine and everything was just great and it would be nice, but that's just not the reality. And so then what we do, and especially with a personal trial, a, a terrible illness, cancer, you know, all these sort of things, then, then you at the bottom of the barrel, at the end of your rope, and you ask, why? We read Job. You know, we, we always do that. We turn to Job. I'm going to get an answer here. You won't. All that book is full of is him going, why? Why? And then his friends all lie to him. His wife says, just go, kill yourself, be done with it. Um, Job, at the very end, God comes and says, I am big and you are small, and I've allowed this to happen. But there's still not a huge why. 
in his mind, he comes to the, to the idea that you're God and I am small. That's about it. So when you're in a trial and you read that book, you kind of come to the end of it and you think, well, this is pointless. I'm still not being helped much. I realize God's big. Then why doesn't he do anything? And it's a, it's a toxic train of thought that we all fall into. Well, thankfully, he answers the question of why. And I always, I've heard messages of God doesn't answer why, but he does. First Peter 4, 1 and 2. It's very good. Therefore, Peter says, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, he died on the cross for our sins. He says, arm yourself with the same mind. What? Of Jesus? Yes. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. So if you ever want to know why are we going through things, whatever it is, this is the answer. If it's any kind of a spiritual battle, a physical trial, you can look at this and say, Jesus suffered, and in this way I understand what he was going through. He died to conquer sin. You go through stuff so that you correctly see your sin. And you know what? When you come out the other side from huge issues in life, God does a magical work in your life. And all of a sudden, it's not, it's not that he, you cease from a terrible sin you were doing, but you don't even have the desires that you used to have. There is a different desire. It's a heavenly desire. And God does that work in your life and in mine after we go through things. It's, it's, a, it's a, a dross drawing event. That's from gold. So you heat the gold up and the junk floats to the top and it's out of your life. And that's what this does. And so um, we'll, we'll uh, end there. These battles of life, they change us. They, uh, they harden us. They soften us. They change us. But they should aim us towards Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you're going through anything... Uh, you know, a spiritual battle, your mind, you have anxiety, you have depression, you have uh, physical things going on in your life that are causing those things to happen. I challenge you and encourage you to look past it back to the Word of God and say, Lord, use this time in my life to draw me closer to you, away from things of the world, and to be more focused where I should be. And you'll, you'll find your own journey in it. That you're, it's, it, Each of us have our own journey. But the goal is going to be the same. It's to get less of this world in you and I and us, our aim more towards heaven. So uh, if anyone here uh, does not know Jesus Christ, you know, reading through a text like this, it, it, it begs the question to say, if God brought you here this morning, you're going through something. And God probably is trying to get a hold of you. That's almost a guarantee. And if you're here this morning and you're going through a trial, I didn't plan it this morning. It's been three months since I've been here, so um, I don't even know some of your faces. Um, so I'm just telling you it's an appointment from God, and He's trying to tell you something really simple, and that's turn back to me, keep the faith, re relook at Ephesians grab your armaments to get through whatever trial you're going through God has a plan for you